Hi, you're listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sins. And here in the studio with me today, I have Chef Tenny Flynn with GW Fins, and we're going to talk about his new cookbook, The Deep End of Flavor. How are you doing today, Chef? I'm doing great. I'm so glad you came in. And for my listeners out there, um, if you have not been to GW Fins, I highly recommend it. Uh, I always tell people... My, one of my favorite things to eat is a scallop, and I think it's because I did not grow up eating scallops here in South Louisiana, so it's something that is kind of special to me, and there are only two chefs in town that I've had the most perfect scallops from, and Chef Tenney is one of them. <laughs> well, and we've been we've been buying scallops from the same people for 18 years, and we fly them in twice a week, and... And, and that's the case with with most seafood. Is you know, it's a in scallops. Uh, not that we fly it in, but that if you get impeccably wonderful seafood, it's very easy to prepare. And then Chef Mike Nelson, who's been the executive chef for us for the last two years, invented a dish. He likes funny names called scallopet, where we fuse scallops to halibut. Um, so we do fly in some exotics. I mean, obviously we don't we don't grow Maine lobsters and salmon and scallops and halibut here, but 70% of our menu is out of the Gulf of Mexico. Absolutely. And, you know, that's so important. And I uh, I was talking to a chef just recently, and she was saying, you know, we have, we're so spoiled here with what we have. And then sometimes because we're so spoiled with what we have, we want a little something different. And I think for what you provide and something I really wanted to talk about was that little something different that might be local. Um, these uh, things that would be considered bycatch or things that maybe fishermen would throw back, even the, the home fishermen would throw back. And, it, you know, there's a lot of good stuff out there to eat. My contention is that almost, you know, with very few ex- exceptions, everything is good if it's fresh and properly prepared. And I've been on boats where, you know, the, the captain raises hell if I try to put a stingray in the boat. You know, there, uh, you know, there are people that, you know, barracuda, it stinks. Don't put it in the boat. You know, and it, it's a wonderful fish. Sixty-six percent of the edible fin fish varieties in the United States come out of the Gulf of Mexico. And, you know, with that number, that means that's more than the East Coast, the West Coast, Alaska, and Hawaii all put together. And that's right at our doorstep. Now, Alaska has more tonnage than we do, but we certainly have more varieties. We're the number two tuna producer in the U.S. after Hawaii, and a lot of New Orleanians don't really associate New Orleans with tuna. But the longline boats uh, go out of Dulac, uh, targeting yellowfin tuna. They get, you know, when the moon is full, we get swordfish, we get mahi, we get escalar, we get wahoo, plus, you know, all the varieties of tuna, and that's two hours south of here, so uh, we get fabulous tuna. And then, you know, uh, everybody's familiar with the inshore fish. You know, we all fish the marsh for, for specks and, uh, and redfish, and they, we get drum and sheep's head. And it's funny that uh, I think 18 years ago when we opened, we were the only restaurant in town that called sheep's head sheep's head. Yes. <laughs> and it's a great fish. Well, you know, I find it's interesting whenever I travel to – to see what other people are eating and to see what fish they're catching. As, uh, you know, I'll go somewhere and I'll tell people, oh, we eat such and such, and they'll go, ew, y'all eat that? 
And then they're eating fish that we would throw back. I, clearly, we're not all communicating well. Well, and, and you know, I, I come from Atlanta, and once you – in Atlanta, speckled trout is not considered a desirable fish at all. No, it doesn't travel very well. But, you know, the whole idea of um, – you know, they used to call Italians garlic eaters, like you're going to denigrate an ethnicity of what they eat, you know. Uh, and, and then their mullet is a good one. You know, the people that yes. love mullet and the people who will be caught dead eating mullet, you know, it, it really doesn't make any sense. Now, so are there fish out there that you've tried and you're like, yeah, okay, I'm never going to eat this again. I don't think we need to eat this. And this one can be off the list. Well, I I, w- I did a um, what we called a trash fish dinner uh, one time, and we had ladyfish, and you know that that would not be my first choice. Uh, we we recently got uh, some conger eel. I mean, we'll buy anything, you know, uh, conger eel, um, and the the meat was really good. But there's an extra line of bones. It's like you know instead of having like uh, a backbone with a cross shape, it's got kind of like a they're incredibly hard to fillet, but the meat is good. Um, cow nose rays, um, I'll pass on those because um, they come up sometimes in the trawl nets with, uh, with sheephead and drum. And they're incredibly fresh. The meat is bright red. It looks kind of like uh, Jack Creval, which is another fish that would not be real high on my list. Um Tasted a little bit like chicken liver. Not like chicken liver, but I don't really associate that when I, when I cook fish. And some of the other uh, tuna varieties that people uh, um, don't esteem, blackfin tuna, as long as it's fresh, is very good. Bonita is very good. It's just the cooking methods. You know, some of these uh, higher fat fish, you know, you can, uh, you can hot smoke. You can put right on the grill. I just did an event in Atlanta. And I was looking for something to take with me, and I was—I had a party for 50 or 60 people, so I need a lot of fish. And the boat had broken down and come back at the, at the end of the first day. So I got uh, two Spanish mackerel and one cobia. And everybody goes, oh, mackerel, isn't that strong and oily? It's not at all. You know, and the Gulf of Mexico uh, has a huge mackerel fishery, and they ship it all to New York and Chicago for the Latin communities hold it in higher esteem. But these fish, if they're fresh on the grill, they're great. And the whole idea of deciding, you know, we talk about it in the cookbook that uh, don't get too wedded to one particular fish when you're looking at a recipe. Look at the, you know, the sauces, the garnishes, and we broke it up into, you know, the different, different types of fish, mainly with a fat level that lend themselves better to grilling or better to sauteing. And then go to the you know, the, if you're going to a fish market, you know, here we have friends that fish and we fish. You know, we're very lucky in that respect. Go to the go to the market and establish yourself as a savvy consumer. And I, I kind of equate it to I don't know how to fix cars. I got a great mechanic who I hold in very high esteem. Um, you know, I've, I've been through, you know, two cars with him that got almost 300,000 miles in both of them. And it's the same thing with a fishmonger. If you don't know about fish, you know, um, find somebody you can trust, and, and he'll tell you what the, the best thing in the case is. And there's some, there's some descriptions of the book about, you know, how to tell the condition of fillets because most people are not going to say, you know, let me see that whole fish, pass it over the counter, I want to smell the gills. And by the way, smell is the number one indicator. You know, when they talk about, you know, 
eyes and all that kind of stuff. By the time the eyes start going, that fish is, is I wouldn't even feed it's it to already a, ripe. wouldn't even feed it to a cat. Well, you know, one of the things that interests me is whenever you are kind of looking at this fish, you're smelling fish, you're, you're, you're either catching it yourself or you're buying it at the market. Uh, so many times here in South Louisiana, we're not always familiar with very oily fish. You know, we're, salmon isn't here. Um, and so we tend to go for these lighter, flakier white fish if it's all that we're familiar with. How do we train our palate or get to the point where we understand that these other flavors in the fish are like super good and delicious? Well, well some of the flavors I, I call grown-up flavors. Mm-hmm. See, nobody is born liking single malt scotch and stinky cheese and, and Maduro cigars. These are these are grown-up flavors you have to learn to like. But, you know, the higher-fat fish just need to be fresher. And, and pompano is a great example of a fat fish, and, and I'm, I'm anxiously waiting for the pompano season. It's kind of short here, but that's a fabulous fish. Absolutely. Um, we get barracuda that uh, is also, it's a little bit fatter than a mackerel, but that's a wonderful fish on the grill. At fins, we generally have 10 to 12 fin fish on the menu, and and if I came up to your table, I would say, what's your favorite fish? And if you told me it was flounder, I probably would not move you towards um, pompano or cobia or something like that. Um, and if you said salmon, you know, then generally salmon is a good indicator. Yes. Um, but to me, fishy is not a description of flavor. It's a, it's just a term that, of, you know, fish that's gone over. Absolutely. Rich and full flavored. We prefer that. And, you know, it sounds kind of like you're a, a, like almost like a fish sommelier for people. <laughs> well, and the, and the cooking methods for with a, the higher fat fish, you know, I'm not going to probably not going to put a butter sauce with that. I'm going to do a, we do a lot of uh, Asian kind of like a green papaya salad, but we make it with merletons, which is really good. Or we do a green apple salad or we do a melon salad, salsa, something of that nature something that marries well with with that fish and the leaner fish we're probably going to saute and we use lots of butter lots of butter in in our kitchen uh, at Langlois when we get down to about eight pounds of butter in the fridge I think the the overall nervousness and anxiety level in the kitchen is pretty extreme they're like chef we need a case of butter with us it's probably closer to 80 pounds yeah I can only imagine yeah our par on butter is pretty unbelievable I think Frank Brightson's the only person in town that uses more butter than I do well butter is good it is it's a natural fat eaten by people for many thousands of years. Well, for home cooks out there, you know, the book is beautiful. And um, for y'all listening, it's called The Deep End of Flavor, Recipes and Stories from New Orleans Premier Seafood Chef. And what I like is that it does have a lot of technique, like how to fillet the fish, how to remove the pin bones. And then there's discussion of different types of fish and how to cook them. As a home cook, you know, who gets this book and is like, okay, I'm going to tackle something in here. Where should they start? Is there something that is well, there, there's basic? Well, there's, there's a basic recipe in the beginning of the book. It's just saute meniere. And before you get started on the recipe, I tell people to have the table set, the guests seated, the side dishes on the table, the sauce is made before you put the fish in the pan. So you can go from 
pan to plate. And what you want to hear is this fish is too hot to eat. And you, if you've got a, a number of guests, you may end up like making pancakes for kids. You're standing there, man, in the stove. But and, and one thing I say is, if you've got the skill set and the equipment to fry an egg, you can cook a piece of you know a thin piece of fish in about the same amount of time. And the fish that I would start with with that here would be trout, sheephead, drum. Um, things that are relatively inexpensive and easily found on the market. Um, for those people that uh, that don't have access to that, uh, some farm-raised catfish is, uh, you know, the thing about farm-raised fish is it's a controlled harvest, so it, it should be, you know, reliably fresher than uh, than some things you see in the seafood case at the, at the grocery store. Um, there is no recipe in there for tilapia. Thank you. And... Um, and what I tell people that are and, and this is a sustainability thing too is buy American. We manage our fisheries pretty well. I scuba dive uh, as far away as I can get, um, and in the places that have no regulations, which everybody complains about. You know, the green, the various green groups don't like them. The commercial fishermen don't like them. The recreational fishermen don't like them. Nobody is entirely happy with them, but the regulatory. System is why we have fish, and we in the United States manages our fisheries pretty darn well. And uh, you know, I, I've I've dove in Guam in the in British Virgin Islands where they have no regulations or they're not enforced, and there're no fish. And I noticed during the seafood cook-off here that one of the chefs was from Guam, and he was cooking parrotfish, and I was going like. Parrotfish. The only reason they're eating parrotfish is they've eaten everything There's else. There's nothing left. Isn't yeah. that sad? It really is. And um, so we have healthy fisheries here. And, and another thing in Louisiana is that uh, the sustainability um, deal is uh, we have to have sustainable fisheries. These are multi-generational fisheries. You know, the people make their living. It's a hard, dangerous job. And they've, you know, we need to we need to have systems in place that uh, ensure their survival as well as the as the uh, resources survival. And, and I agree with that so much. And we start to realize, you know, so many members of our community are involved in the fisheries, and whether it's from the people who are the fishermen, the people who package, the people who build the boats, the who manage the marinas, and the the number of people out there who just fish for sport, it, it's a, it is a very true part of who we are in South Louisiana and, and our identity. And we have very generous catch limits, um, you know, which kind of leads me to the, you know, put your fish on ice, keep them on ice, take too much ice on the boat. When you get back to the dock, don't line your fish up on the dock to take pictures of them and let them get hot. Um, for every 10 degrees that this fish gets over 32 degrees after it's in the boat, it cuts the shelf life in half. So Say you that go, again. So 32, 32 to 42, you know, you go from eight days to four days, 42 to 52, two days, 50. You know, once it gets up to ambient temperature, you got to eat it that same day. And then so, so many people, I see them butchering it out in the sun and then they get home and they have huge bags of fillets that they throw in the freezer. And then they – speckled trout does not thaw out very well. Um, and if you keep it cold and then you have a whole fish on ice, a cutting board that's not in the sun, 
and then an ice pan to put the fillets in. And you, so the only time the fish isn't on ice is when you're cutting it on the board. If you do that, keep those fillets cold, put them in a bag, put them in a bowl of ice in your refrigerator. They're good for at least a week. You don't have to freeze them. And you know, Chef, what really drives me nuts is when people hand me a frozen bag of ice with fish fillets floating in it, you know, like suspended in the ice. And part of me goes, once you take the clothes off of the fish, once you skin them, they do not want to be wet on the inside. I feel like we have, it. it's messing with the texture of the protein whenever they're thawing out that fish versus if they had just frozen those fillets and then put them in a bag on ice. What's Sometimes if on I've that? got a lot of them, I'll wrap them in a paper towel individually and then put them in the bag and then put them on a the bowl of ice. If you've ever seen that at a sushi bar when they take, you know, their pristine little pieces of fish out of the um, out of the refrigerator, you know, they, they keep and it absorbs the moisture and, and it helps, helps keep the shelf life going. Yeah, I, I feel like... Um, there's also uh, that group of people out there that when we go and we catch our fish and it's been a long day, we're tired. It's hot. It's, we've been in the sun and it, it, we take the path of least resistance, which is having someone else clean those fish for us. Or if it's, it's a, yeah, if it's a charter, the, uh, the, the captain will do it. Uh, I, I always take mine in, in ice. And, and everybody says sheep's head are, are, are hard to clean. There's certainly, I mean, nothing is easier to clean than a speckled trout. But if you if you leave that sheep's head in the ice chest with plenty of ice until rigor comes and goes, it's easier to cut. You know, you're less likely if it's you know if it's hard and in funny shapes. Yeah, it is a little bit a little bit more difficult. Well, so let's kind of go back to the cookbook again because I'm I'm looking at stuff and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's on Chef Tinney's menu. This is one of my favorite dishes, and I'm starting to realize that this is kind of a restaurant cookbook for the home cook well there there's certainly a lot of uh, favorite gw fence recipes in there um and and they're you know these are home versions of them that are pretty easy to prepare at home now did you have to um do taste tests and recipe oh, testing oh my god <laughs> tell that, us that about was, that that was definitely the very tedious part of it uh, <laughs> I mean, the publisher, you know, everything has to be, you have to write a recipe not presuming a lot of existing knowledge. Everything has to be volume measurements. Um, and they were they were tested and tested. And I mean, these recipes I, I knew worked. And, you know, I'd give them to people that I considered good cooks. And, you know, and we would still have to tweak them. And, you know, that drove me nuts. Well, you know, I always tell people when they're like, oh, I cooked such and such and it didn't work out right. My first question is, did you get the recipe off the Internet? Is it from a source you trust? Because that is how the sh- the chef or the writer writes the recipe, tests the recipe, makes all the difference in the final outcome. Well, and, and, and the product you start with, too. You can't take a mediocre product and make a great dish out of it, you know, which kind of gets back to the buy the best fish in the case and then cook that instead of, you know, what it says in the recipe, and, and we give a lot of substitutions. Um, but if somebody buys the cookbook, you know, and then buys the ingredients, and then goes to the trouble of making it, you know, 
you got a right to be mad if it, you know, Absolutely. if it doesn't work. Well, I know that this book was a two-year labor of love. What was your favorite part in the process? The writing the writing the stories. I mean, to tell you the truth, um, I've been doing this a long time. I, I grew up in my dad's restaurant. I started working in the kitchen when I was nine years old, and. Uh, and the publishable stories are, you know, we all have the unpublishable ones, but uh, it was a lot of fun doing that. And and some of the dishes I used, and you've got it open to one, that's a dish from my mom's house that I remember when I was a kid. And that's the mussels with Italian sausage. Y'all. Right. So from the dishes of your childhood to the dishes you've cooked in commercial kitchens to what you're you're doing now and putting on the pages of the cookbook— it kind of tells the story a little bit of your journey. It does, and I mean, there's a little bit of a heritage piece, I guess, because I'm old. But, uh, but you know, mainly it was in response to uh, customers asking us for it. Um, you know, we've been we've been there 18 years now, and uh, you know, we've got a lot of long-term customers. Well, what guidance would you give to the home chef who gets the book and says, you know, I'm a pretty good cook um and i want to work my way through this what what advice would you give them as they're starting recipes as they're cooking throwing dinner parties that kind of thing well what we already talked about um you know buy american products don't buy imported shrimp don't buy imported crawfish don't buy tilapia don't buy imported fish at all um you know seek out um domestic fish and and you know the closer to you the better um Mise en place, you know, that was my co-writer, uh, bless her heart. Um, you know, she would uh, she would FaceTime me something going, this, this is taking me two hours. I said, that's because you've got all that crap everywhere. You know, a place for everything, everything in its place. Uh, the recipes are ordered, so like I said, you, you make the side dishes first, you make the sauces, you know, and... I had it drilled in my head many years ago. When you when you finish an operation, you clean up all evidence of that operation before you go to the next operation. Empty your dishwasher before you start. Run your sink full of water, you know, so you're able to work in an organized fashion. Because you want you want everything ready when that fish is done. They say the difference between moist and juicy and perfect and dried out and not so wonderful is about three minutes. So Three you, minutes. So you want to time it so you go from pan to plate to this fish is too hot to eat. And it, practice with the, uh, you know, with the, the more uh, inexpensive fish first. And there are recipes in there for landlocked people. Uh, you know, there are a lot of markets uh, that, you know, the frozen at sea stuff is going to be better than the stuff that's in the case. You know, shrimp freezes very well. You know, just make sure it's wild-caught Louisiana shrimp, preferably. Um, there are a lot of shrimp dishes in there. Um, you know, there's a green curry dish in there I particularly like that's good with everything. You know, there's some uh, there there are recipes in there for um, um, bits and pieces. You know, there's uh, there are two mousseline recipes for our lobster dumplings, which we sold millions of. And it has several steps, but it's a, it's a doable recipe at home. You take that same apparatus and you make pot stickers. You take that same apparatus and you make canals. You make uh, seafood boudin. 
you know, so you use every bit of this of this fresh fish to do something with. I love that. And, you know, I am a firm believer that we waste too much food here in America. And to be able to take something and make multiple things out of it and to kind of repurpose uh, warms my heart because so many times we put a lot of time and energy into cooking something. And uh, once we, we get comfortable with it and we learn that technique, now we can move on to the next thing and the next thing. Well, and it fans we buy everything whole. Because that's the only real way to judge the quality of it. And, and over the years, and, and Chef Mike Nelson has been a uh, on the forefront of this. Uh, it's kind of his shtick. Um, he developed a way of cutting collars um, so they're easy to eat, and we call them fin wings. Um, he also does. Uh, we do snapper bellies, which. Uh, and he equates that uh, – one thing he used to say was trash fish is the fish we used to throw in the trash because if we didn't make stock out of those parts, the carcass just went in the garbage can. And now we utilize that. He makes gelatin out of the scales. Um, and one thing, he's he's done a little – a really good video, and it's uh, it's like a, a skinless, boneless chicken breast. He bones that out, and he throws the rest of the chicken away. And he said, that's what we're doing with the fish. Absolutely. So – and there are, you know – Every part of this is good. It respects the fish. And plus there's the financial part of it, too. I mean, we're paying more than twice for the whole fish that we used to. So, you know, if we can make great-tasting things to recover some more, you know, income out of the same fish, so much the better. Absolutely. Well, Chef Tenny, we are almost out, out of time, but I wanted to give you a chance to tell our listeners about your upcoming book signing at Octavia Books on uh, the 10th of September, and then um, where they can get your book and how they can find out more. Well, you just told me when the, uh, I got to look at my <laughs> I calendar. I you'd have to look anyway, at your calendar. <laughs> anyway, Octavia Books, I'm going to bring something to eat. I don't really know quite what, and, uh, and I hope to see people there, and I'll be signing books. And also, uh, if it hasn't happened already, it's going to be very soon that you're going to be able to order a book off our website. And I will ship it to, I will inscribe it and ship it to you. If you come by the restaurant, I will be happy to inscribe you a book as well. Awesome. And plus, it's on Amazon and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But we can come in, we can eat, get a book, have you sign it, all the fun stuff in one evening. Right. Personally inscribed. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Y'all have been listening to Chef Tenny Flynn with GW Fins. Go out and get his new book, which is The Deep End of Flavor. This is Chef Amy Sins with New Orleans by Mouth on WRBH 88.3 FM. Until next time, ciao.